0: Everybody and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Marshall Poe, your host. Each week we pick a new history book that we find particularly interesting, and we interview the author of that book. This week I'm happy to say we have Johannin Petrovsky Stern back on the show, and we'll be talking about his really interesting new book, "The Anti Imperial Choice: The Making of the Ukrainian Jew." Many of the people who listen to this show are probably familiar with a fellow named Robert Zimmerman, but you know him under a different name. He is, of course. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan made a very unusual choice when he decided to follow, of all people, Woody Guthrie and become a folk singer. This was not the normal thing for a bright Jewish boy from the American upper Midwest to do. Doctor, lawyer, professor was probably more common. Why did he do this? It's a very interesting question. Uh, Johannin in this book, takes up a similar sort of query as it relates to uh, Eastern Europe and particularly Ukraine uh, he's discovered a series of Jews in the Pale of Settlement who, instead of adopting the imperial culture, that is the majority culture, say Russian speaking or German, adopted Ukrainian culture and took it as a cause of their own, and some of them became great Ukrainian poets. It's sort of a tradition that Johannin has discovered and and one that sheds light not only on the Russian Empire and the Jewish experience, but Ukrainian experience as well. So this is our first foray into Ukrainian history, and I hope that it won't be our last. I should also say that this is our 100th show, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Uh, I think it's been successful. I've heard from a lot of you, and I've tried to take your comments about the show under advisement, and even implement some of them. And please keep those comments coming. I'd also like to thank a bunch of you for becoming fans of the show on Facebook. That helps very much because I need a measure of some sort to show my bosses here at the University of Iowa that people are listening to the show and also track statistics about who listens. And I know that there are literally tens of thousands of people now, I think, who listen to the show all over the world. So thank you all for tuning in, if tuning in is what you do on the internet. So without further ado, let me present the interview with Johann Petrovsky-Stern. Hi, Johannin. Hi, Marshall. How are you today?
1: Um, it's it's wonderful. It's it's c- clear, uh, sunny uh, and very chilly. That's Windy great. City no, as you know.
0: Yes, the Windy City is right. No, here in Iowa it's about the same thing, but it's very sunny and very nice. I should tell our uh, listeners that we have Johann Petrovsky Stern on the show today and I'm very happy about that. We'll be talking about his new book The Anti-Imperial Choice. The Making of the Ukrainian Jew. Uh, as I told Johannin in the pre-interview, this is my 100th show, and I'm very pleased about that. And I wanted to have a special guest on, somebody who I knew would do a great job, and so I picked Johanan. And uh, so, Johannin, uh, I'm very, very pleased that you're on the show. Maybe you could begin uh, the show by uh, telling us a, a little bit about yourself and how you came to write the book
1: uh first uh, Marshall, uh, let me uh, congratulate you um, on uh, your 100th show um Thank i you. am um i'm a fan of yours and i uh, listen to many interviews not to all of them i'm guilty i know but uh at least to uh, some of the best ones and out of this 100 i believe i've heard about 60 and they are, <laughs> That's they are really very helpful and uh they um, Open my eyes to the questions i 've never asked oh, and to the themes i 've never thought about okay. uh, so um, i I thank you for that, and I think that you are doing really great job and thank you for um, uh, for picking me up uh, i I'm privileged and honored to be with you on your hundredth show absolutely my pleasure now as far as as my life story is concerned, you know um when uh people uh write books uh, when he or she writes a new book uh, and they are asked, "How did you come uh, to write this book?" Uh, people usually invent their life stories, so the life stories will match exactly uh, the uh, topic of the book. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, if a person writes, if the same person writes another book, there will be a different life story. <laughs> so let me let me let me use this trick and, and tell you that um, I believe um, I can invent um, another uh, life story of. Um, of mine that would uh, fit well in uh, the description of the anti imperial choice now um as you know um i am uh, born in uh, kiev uh in the soviet union um uh, in the times immemorial memorial in the previous millennium in the previous <laughs> century um and uh, I cannot say that I was either a Ukrainian or a Jew. Um, It would be uh, wrong to call me a Ukrainian Jew. Um, Why so? Because um, I was born into a very much assimilated Russian-speaking family. Uh, with some uh, very mild um, uh, Jewish concerns and uh, certainly with no interest uh, with no interest in, in, in thanks Jewish um, I knew that um, you know I go to um, a school in Ukraine uh, I heard people around sometimes speaking the Ukrainian language but it never occurred uh, that uh, I would discover the Ukrainian culture it came very late to me in my life that I realized that uh, Ukrainian culture is important, it's vibrant, it's interesting, and it is suffering from a an enforced um, state-orchestrated russification. Mm-hmm. And this discovery is exactly what opened my eyes uh, toward Ukrainian culture and made me think big about where was I at that particular time.
0: Mhm. And uh how how did uh you get from there you sort of discovered there is a Ukrainian culture to writing a book about uh people uh who were born into the Jewish faith and then came to adopt Ukraine as uh their own, I guess the right way to put it is cause.
1: Uh let me let me tell you this. Um I believe we know from um, history that jews who live in europe at the end of the 19th early 20th century usually integrate the majority uh... the upper class uh... the uh... imperial culture Mm -hmm. uh... be it french german russian Um, kafka lives in prague and dreams of his readers in berlin and writes in the German language. Vasily Grossman uh, is born in Berdichev, um, but he dreams of his Russian readers and becomes the Russian language writer. Mm -hmm. Um, You do not have uh, that many Jews who live together with Kafka, uh, next to Kafka, in Prague and integrate, let's say, Czech culture. Mm -hmm. uh, Jews who are there in Ukraine and who integrate the Ukrainian culture. Why Mm -hmm. so? Because um, at the end of the 19th, early 20th century, uh, the stateless cultures are considered uh, backward, peasant-based, third-rank, colonial, not interesting, um, and uh, quite usually uh, Mm anti-Semitic. What do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Why would you want to integrate this kind of culture? Mm-hmm. That's exactly the question, one of the questions that I'm asking in the book, and um, oh, then there is a story uh, to how I came to write this book. Um, one of my um, colleagues uh, asked me to write a, uh, an essay on oh, a Jewish writer, poet who writes in the Ukrainian language today. And I wrote a, an article about Moisei Fishbane uh, to, uh, to who I uh, devoted the last chapter in my book who is an extraordinary Ukrainian poet he lives today in Kiev um, and uh, I wrote an essay about him and realized that I am dealing with somebody who represents uh, the pinnacle of an iceberg Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with a person who certainly represents some sort of a tradition or some sort of, of a trend within the Ukrainian culture that we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. How come that this uh, person, Misefish Bain, who is born in Chernovitz, in Chernivtsi, uh, to a Yiddish and Russian speaking family, becomes one of the major Ukrainian poets of the late 20th, early 21st century. And once I asked myself this question, I decided to look back and uh, I tried to find out whether there are other people who did the same. Mm -hmm. And I discovered not one, not two, not three, but many of uh, the uh, uh, intellectuals, Mm -hmm. literati, writers, poets, um, uh, literary critics. Uh, musicians, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, who decided to integrate the Ukrainian culture, mm-hmm. And this is
0: why the book is called The Anti-Imperial Choice, because they don't integrate into the Russian culture or, in the case of Kafka, the German culture. They integrate into a minority culture and, and what is more a minority culture that was uh, oppressed at the end of the 19th century and actually was, has been oppressed since the uh, liberation of Ukraine in, in 91. So well, why don't we begin actually talking about uh, one of these very interesting characters, the very first one you talk about, um, a certain kerner who is uh who becomes Kinerenko.
1: go ahead right. uh right um the case of uh, grigory kerner um, is uh, is a very interesting case uh when i came across Um, uh, this case, I realize I'm dealing with the beginning of the tradition uh, that I'm trying to reconstruct or discover or invent, uh, choose uh, (laughs) any of these verbs. Um, um, Why is it so important to talk about him? He is not uh, a uh, writer-poet in the Ukrainian language of primary importance. He is not even the uh, uh, second-ranked writer-poet. But he is a very interesting case. He is born in uh, Gulaipole to a uh, very affluent uh, Jewish family, really the upper-class bourgeoisie. He he goes to study uh, agriculture and uh, engineering in Munich. And when he comes back, he says, well, I don't want to be a bourgeois Grigory Kerner. I would like to be a Ukrainian poet (laughs) Risko <laughs> Kernerenko. And you know this is this is extraordinary. Why yeah. why would you like to do why would you want to do that? Um now not only he does that um we have to uh, we need to understand the context in, in which he is emerging as Hrytsko uh, Kernerenko. And the context is certainly not favorable to anything no. uh, Ukrainian. No, not at all. Uh, you know um at that particular time uh, the um uh, leading uh, Ukrainian philanthropist who uh, uh, sponsors the revival of Ukrainian culture um, in the um, early years of the 20th century, Yevhen Kalenko says that there were seven Ukrainian-speaking families in Kiev <laughs> in what today is the capital of Ukraine. Um, and and we are talking about um, Kernarenko discovering himself as Hrytsko. Kernarenko uh, Thirty years before that time, mm-hmm. so in the in the um, in the 1870s, 1880s, mm-hmm. um, at that particular time, uh, the Ukrainian language, um, as we know, is banished from all spheres of public life after the Els decree and Valuyev decree. Mm-hmm uh the ukrainian uh teachers cannot teach um, uh, in the ukrainian language at uh, um, at the elementary schools um uh, ukrainian uh orthodox Christians cannot Hear the sermons uh, by the priests in the Ukrainian language, mm-hmm. because language is is forbidden um, uh, to be used um, even in the sermons, uh, let alone uh, in the, um, the publications, um, uh, journals, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It is in this context that Karnerenko is saying, "I would like to become the Ukrainian poet." Mm-hmm. He um, uh, starts writing Ukrainian poetry and Ukrainian prose narrative. Uh, the Ukrainian writers and poets discover him. Um, he writes, uh, a letter presenting himself to Ivan Franko, who is seen today as one of the founders of modern Ukrainian literature. Franko says, wow, we have here, uh, um, a person who wants to be one of us. Uh, Franko at the time is not in, uh, uh, the Ukraine proper. He is in, uh, the, um, Ukrainian territory which is under Austro-Hungarian Empire at the time um, uh, in in Galicia Mm -hmm. uh, where he uh, creates um, a number of venues for the development of uh, uh, Ukrainian culture including his major journal in which he starts publishing uh, the poetry, uh, prose, narrative and translations of uh, Mm Hrytsko-Krymerenko. So um, now Kronenko is not only the person who wants to um, create his uh, Ukrainian self, he is also very critical about what Ukraine is um, um, at that particular time. He um, understands that he is dealing with a culture that has uh, anti-Jewish bias. He is dealing with people who are not really eager to embrace him, but he wants to be a Ukrainian poet. What do you do with that? And he writes... uh, um, uh, a very moving poetry um, in which he uses uh, the patterns, uh, the style, the imagery, and metaphors of Heinrich Heine, another poet of dual identity, German-Jewish in this, mm-hmm. in this case, mm-hmm. um, in order to convey his feelings um, and his understanding of his own uh, Kernerenko's encounter with uh, the contemporary Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And he writes, Ukraina Тебе я кинуть мушу, хоча до тебе я віддав життя і волю і душу, але я пасадок тобі, на жаль, це добре знаю. І проміж других дітей твоїх я не живу, страждаю. Не сила знести вже мені тих понад міру за те, що я і твої сини не одну маєм віру. Тебе ж Україна моя, я буду вік кохати, бо ти хоч мачуха мені, а все ж ти мені мат. Let me briefly translate uh, what, what he's uh, saying here. Fare thee well, my Ukraine. I need to leave you. Thou you, I have sacrificed, my life and freedom and soul. But I'm your stepson, and I know this only too well. Among your other children, I live not, but I suffer. I cannot any more tolerate the mockery of the fact that your sons and I are of different faiths. Yet you, my Ukraine, I will love forever. Ovid, you treat me as a stepson. Still, you are my mom. Mm-hmm. This is a very moving uh, uh, poetry, and it is uh, it is wonderfully uh, uh, articulated in Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, what amazes me in this poem is that it is certainly about his desire to be part of the Ukrainian milieu, the Ukrainian culture, mm-hmm. his desire to present himself as a Ukrainian poet, his desire to feel that Ukraine is uh, his mom. Mm -hmm. This is a very important metaphor that uh, comes comes from uh, the times of Shevchenko to uh, nowadays uh, Ukrainian poetry, Mm -hmm. the image of Ukraine as the mother. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, he understands there are problems with his desire to integrate this culture because, uh, you know, he belongs to a different faith. He uh, He's not becoming a Russian Orthodox uh, in order to become the Ukrainian. He still wants to be accepted as a Jew, and that creates a major problem. He discusses uh, this grappling with his dual Ukrainian-Jewish identity in this poem. Mm -hmm. That makes him, I believe... Uh, very unique uh, among those who are seeking um, the integration into a different culture, in this case, into uh, a colonial, stateless, Ukrainian, anti-Semitic culture, or at least as a culture that is perceived as uh, this type of culture by his contemporaries, certainly by his Jewish contemporaries. Mm -hmm.
0: But he still has a foot in both worlds, as you uh, say. Uh, He's involved in uh, the Ukrainian discovery of Shalom Aleichem, isn't he?
1: Right. Um, uh, That's um, another um, interesting aspect of of, uh, what he does. Uh, We might think that um, uh, my characters, uh, the people who I describe in the book, um, are integrating Ukrainian culture and dissolving themselves in the Ukrainian culture. This is not happening. Uh, Kernerenko as well as Raisa Trojanker, Leonid Pervomaisky, Moisey Fishbein, and others, um, they... Um, convey their Jewish concerns in the Ukrainian language, and they um, infuse the Ukrainian poetry and prose narrative with the Jewish imagery, Jewish metaphors, uh, um, and uh, very important Jewish cultural references. Um, in uh, in this particular case, in case of Hryzko Karnarenko, um at a certain point, uh, he uh, becomes a medium through which uh, Ivan Franco discovers the Yiddish um, uh, the Yiddish the literature. Uh, Franco asks Kernerenko in one of his letters, Who is this uh, uh, Sholomon Eichem? And, uh, <laughs> right, right, which is a legitimate question for a Ukrainian-speaking person in 1899, mm-hmm. right? And Kirnarenko uh, explains this is uh, the uh, best-known uh, writer in uh, the jargon, as Yiddish is called at that particular yeah. time. Um, and um, Franco says, well, if this is such an important writer, let's have him translate it. So Kiernerenko translates uh, pieces from Sholem Aleichem into Ukrainian, which are then published um, in uh, Franco's journal he does the same uh with the uh russian language poet, um, uh, Simeon Frug, who is at that time uh, perhaps uh, one of the uh, most um, uh, well-known Russian-Jewish poets. Mm -hmm. He translates, Krenerka translates Frug into into the Ukrainian language, um, and uh, his translations are published uh, again in the Ukrainian uh, journals. So he is uh, a bridge between cultures, and he uh, also uh, makes uh, uh, Russian, Jewish, and uh, Yiddish um, culture visible uh, for the Ukrainian readers. Moreover, he is taking pieces of um, Jewish religious tradition and infusing his um, Ukrainian poetry uh, with uh, the elements of Jewish culture. He writes Ukrainian poetry about uh, Jewish Messianism. Um, he writes Ukrainian poet, uh, poetry about uh, the um events in Jewish social life um he has a major poem about um the cancellation of the um uh, Jewish privilege uh, to sell uh, and produce alcohol uh he says how important it is for the Jews not to do that anymore uh nobody will call Jews uh um, um the people who make Russian and Ukrainian peasant drunk mm-hmm. uh so he is really um in the, for- at the forefront of the um um, uh, of, of pondering the uh, experience of Jews in East Europe and the encounter with uh, the Slavic cultures.
0: And all and all in the Ukrainian language. That's that's pretty incredible. How How is um, uh, Kinenenko remembered today? Is he remembered by the Ukrainian literati?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was fascinated to discover that um, uh, there are, dollars of, um, uh, local histories, um, in, uh, central Ukraine that Rediscovered uh, Kernerenko, uh, wrote um, articles about him. Uh, you would find uh, a major newspaper in Zaporozhye or in Dnipropetrovsk or in Poltava that have articles about um, um, Kernerenko and that celebrate his uh, uh, firm stance on uh, the issues of Ukrainian revivalism. Hmm. Uh, these people are saying, look, we live still in this uh, uh, milieu uh, which is Russified, uh, which uh, votes for Yanukovych. Uh, which um, uh, looks uh, at the Kremlin as uh, the redeemer, and uh, so on and so forth. But here you have a Jew who, in the, uh, at the end of the 19th century, says um, Ukrainian culture is uh, is a very important, self-contained um, phenomenon, mm-hmm. and uh, we should. Help it uh, to be more visible. We should we should develop it. We should uh, integrate uh, uh, this culture, and we should certainly invest our mm. heart and nerve and sinew into it.
0: Mm. That's that's fascinating. Let's let's actually move on to uh, the next author you deal with, uh, a, a certain uh, Ivan Hulik. Um, he's a quite a, he's a he's quite a different character, but every bit is unique.
1: Right. Uh, Kulik is the unique character among the unique characters. And unlike Kirnarenko, uh, unlike Kirnarenko, who is certainly, um, um, a person, um, uh, who supports, uh, and who promotes Ukrainian revivalism, Kulik, uh, supports and promotes, uh, what people called in the mid-1920s, uh, the national Communism. And uh, uh, by the national communism in quick case, I mean the encounter of uh, two utopias uh, one, Ukrainian centered utopia of the Slavic cultures, and another is uh, the international. Um, Proletarian revolution of uh, Bukharin's type. Let me explain to you very briefly how Kulik came to the discovery of uh, this kind of national communism, because you know his itinerary is uh, is uh, a, a very interesting. Yeah, he uh, makes
0: he makes itinerary. his way around.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, he traveled a lot before he um, found out how to put these things together. Uh, he's born to a Yiddish. And Russian-speaking family in Shpola, uh, which is in uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, then uh, when he is two, or three years old. His family moves to Uman, uh, which, as we know, is a major uh, attraction for Hasidim, uh, for the Spies Jews uh, from all over the world. Um, in Uman his father works as uh, as a melamed in Talmud Torah which is uh, a teacher in uh, an elementary Jewish school Kolik is not interested in anything Jewish he is interested in uh, um his encounters with uh, Ukrainian uh, village dwellers who come to the local parks uh to play uh Cossacks uh bandits robbers smugglers <laughs> and he plays with them now where where do they play? They play um on the territory of the famous uh, Skopje park. Uh Sofiega park is an English style park with cataracts, uh grottoes um, um uh, woods um statues of uh, uh, Greek uh, gods and goddesses um Rotundas, and so on and so forth. this is the park uh, established um uh by the Count Potocki in the uh, early years of the nineteenth century it's it's a It's a beautiful park um So Kulik uh, is playing the Cossacks with his Ukrainian uh, fellows uh, out there. And from them, uh, he picks his Ukrainian language. And he writes uh, a moving poetry uh, later in his life uh, about his encounter with the um, uh, rural-based Ukraine uh, in this Sofityvka park. Then he discovers that his brother is arrested. His brother becomes a Marxist. He is... um, uh involved with revolutionary circles in Uman, he is taken to prison and somebody needs to take letters from the prison to uh the fellows of his brother who are in the um underground and Kulik who is uh, seven or eight years old uh, does exactly this he becomes a, a mailman A revolutionary mailman. (laughs) Right. So, this is his first encounter with. That's quite an an image.
0: Revolutionary mailman. That is. uh,
1: Yeah, revolutionary uh, mailman, exactly. Now, uh, at the same time, um, he discovers that he is very much interested in in the Ukraine culture. Now, perhaps you know about this famous expedition by. um uh, Shlomo Anski to the Pale settlement. Uh, Shlomo Ansky is a Yiddish writer and Russian writer and he is um, an ethnographer um, um, and and he um organizes um an, an expedition um uh, to the Pale settlement uh that uh collect the artifacts of uh, uh, Jewish life, uh, Jewish uh, pictures, Jewish stories, uh, Jewish folklore, and so on and so forth. Uh, This expedition uh, took place between 1911 and 1913, and I'm telling you this because it is an important backdrop to my story. Kulik most likely knows about this expedition, or he heard that there are people who are interested in the material culture of the Jewish world. Now, he lives in the center of the Jewish world, but he's not interested in things Jewish. He goes to the nearby villages around Uman, and he uh, puts on paper kolatki, shidrivki, and other uh, genres of of the Ukrainian folklore. He uh, is interested in um, the design of Ukrainian Pisanki, which is uh, this um, Easter eggs mm-hmm. uh, that are painted very beautifully uh, mm-hmm. before Easter. I, I'm sure you, you've seen them. Oh yes, no, I've seen and, them.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Right. So he he is um, uh, he's copying the designs of his Pisanki and and uh, later he uh, when he is about 13 years old, he is um, uh, he is co-alted by the local Uman um, branch of the Society for the Preservation of Monuments, and he makes a a presentation there about the Ukrainian folklore, about the material culture um, of the nearby villages, Mm -hmm. uh, emphasizing uh, the importance of the study of Ukrainian folklore. So it is fascinating that uh, when Jews uh, of um, uh, his... um, Type of origin are interested in the material culture of the shtetl, He is interested in the material culture of the Ukrainian village. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he certainly cannot make both ends meet. Um, in uh, uh, Uman, he goes to study painting in the Viesa. He cannot pay for his painting, for his for his studies. He has no money. He decides to leave um, uh, the old the world the, the old world for good and he moves to the United States. In the United States, he is cheated by his Jewish relatives, he runs away, and he becomes a minor in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Now, uh, when he is in Pennsylvania, um, uh, he is looking for a milieu to uh, to be integrated by, and, and uh, he discovers uh, Nikolai Bukharin, who is at the time um, editing... Uh, the uh, Novy Mir, the New World Journal, um, in uh, excuse me, newspaper, not a journal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nikolai Bukharin, who is at that time editing uh, the uh, Novy Mir newspaper, which is a Russian socialist Marxist newspaper in New York, Kulik starts writing. Um, uh journalistic articles uh for this newspaper and uh, his encounter with Bukharin galvanizes him because he realizes there is such a thing as the international proletarian revolution that will come to redeem the world from oppression that w- which will come to redeem the oppressed proletarians all over the world um and um he he is so much uh galvanized by Bukharin that when they both learned about the um, uh, February Revolution uh, in um, in Russia. They leave New York and they go uh, through the United States, through Yokohama, to Vladivostok, from Vladivostok to Moscow to be the participants of this new Russian Revolution. Bukharin stay, uh, remains in Moscow, Kulik wants to, uh, area goes to Ukraine, and in Ukraine... He is um, appointed, or I would say, he is elected by the Red Cossacks to be the first commissar of the Red Cossack unit in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Then there is another episode um, uh, in his uh, life story: the, uh, his uh, participation in the civil in the in the uh, civil war. Um, his arrest, his imprisonment, he spends uh, about a year in Polish prison, uh, he is redeemed by the Bolsheviks from the prison, but when he's in prison he writes his first book. And his first book ever written is the book of the Ukrainian verse, mm-hmm. which brings together the Ukrainian folklore. It's called um, Mu'i Kolomeki. Kolomeka is is a typical genre of uh, Ukrainian Christmas folklore. So it is this kind of the uh, genre imbued with the revolutionary imagery of Ukrainian Cossacks, of uh, Ukrainian uh, proletarians uh, fighting for the liberation of the people of the world. Um, So it brings together the international and the Ukrainian folklore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In in a a very cohesive, coherent, and compelling way, it is really an interesting Ukrainian poetry quite... uh, Um, experimental and and quite compelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, Kulik uh, finds himself again overseas. He is sent as the consul of the Ukrainian trade trade mission to Montreal. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are a Soviet bureaucrat in the West, so far in the West, in Canada, what do you do? Well, you can do many things, right? You can be a spy, you can enjoy life, uh, you can talk to the Canadians about the importance of the uh, Ukrainian revivalism and Ukrainian communism. Kulig does not do that. Kulik is much more interested in educating the Ukrainian diaspora. He goes to Halifax. He goes to uh, Ottawa. He goes to uh, Winnipeg. He goes to uh, Alberta. He goes to all different places to give lectures about Ukraine. He... um establishes uh, links with the local Ukrainian choir. Uh, He helps put on stage Ukrainian plays. Um, He writes uh, about Ukraine to local socialist Ukrainian uh, newspapers, uh, uh, most importantly to the newspaper, Ukrainian labor news. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was in Winnipeg, and I gave a lecture about Kulik, uh, to about 45-50 uh, unrepentant Marxists who came to get... <laughs> I, wondered where came they,
0: to, I wondered where they all had gone. <laughs> I guess
1: it's uh, well, it's, it's a very interesting world. Um, uh, and, and I gave this lecture in the Ukrainian Labor Temple
0: yeah.
1: built in 1921, exactly in the temple where kulnik gave his lecture oh, wow. in 1925. That's amazing. Okay? Now, Why Kulik um, is doing that? Because he's absolutely confident that if there is any kind of liberation that comes to the world, it will come from Ukraine and through Ukraine. If there is um, any kind of uh, um, the revolution in the world, it can be only the international revolution centered in Ukraine. Uh, Let me give you some sense of what he's writing um, after he... um, uh, spends uh, almost two years in Canada. Um, hey, my fertile Alberta, Machno will come for you. <laughs> Whatever you do, but you will rise renewed. Hi, my British Columbia, your forests and marshes will soon learn the jokes of the Volinia guerrilla. Hi, my pedantic Halifax, the port of the future, glory in progress. You think it is simple? Wouldn't you like as it was in Odessa? and so on and so forth. And, and he finishes his uh, his uh, l- l- long poem, And even you, my Yukon, Will never hide under the snows, For in the nearest days You will redden as a new Donbass, And yours, Ottawa the capital, A proud House of Commons, Will be ardently ruled by the All Canadian Soviet Commissariat. Mm.
0: People, people okay. all over, people all over Canada are loving you right now. I'm telling you what. <laughs> <laughs> right. Go
1: right, ahead. right, right, uh, You know, um, in Winnipeg, uh, I was driving uh, through the um, uh, narrow streets uh, that have uh, wooden houses built in the 1910s and 1920s by the Ukrainian emigres, mm-hmm. um, and uh, some of these uh, houses would have posters. Put profit. Aside, vote for communists. Wow! Yeah, and you're driving there. You're thinking, (laughs) well, am I in? Is this January? Century. Yeah. Two thousand ten. Yeah. Right, but. uh, this is what Kulik is about, and he is—he's um, a true believer. He is uh, not one of these, uh, you know, Soviet bureaucrats who are uh, using the Marxist or uh, the uh, national revivalist ideology uh, to move along um, and to to, uh, to have a great career. No, he's really a believer, and he is writing about his things in prose poetry. He has about seven books of, of poetry, about four books of prose narrative. Uh, enormous amount of uh, excellent journalistic articles, and what is very important for him in Canada at that particular time, he discovers his uh, double. He discovers in Canada a person with who he wants to identify himself, and this discovery comes as a revelation. Um, Now, um, who is this person? Uh, Perhaps you know that... um, About the um, 1860s, in Canada, there were two uh, rebellions uh, of the uh, uh, Métis um, Indians uh, who were trying to fight against uh, the British imperialism. Mm -hmm. Now, these rebellions were led by a person whose name was uh, Louis Riel, who could have become a priest or a lawyer, and who decided, who was who was what, by the way, and who decided that he would join the um, uh, rebellious movement of the uh, local Indians in Manitoba. And he did exactly that. Moreover, he was elected by the Indians as the, uh, the representative and as the leader of the movement. Hmm. So you have uh, a person who comes from the majority culture and says, well... I would like to do things for the Indians, this is my anti-imperial choice. Mm-hmm. He is later arrested uh, and he is found guilty of state treason and he's is uh, hanged. So oh, only later, at the beginning of the 20th century, Canadians made him into a national hero. What is important for Kulik, and I believe he knows about that, uh, Louis Riel does not call himself Louis Riel. He says, I would be Louis David Riel. Why does he need the name David? Because he says, I will be for these Indians or what King David had been mm-hmm. for the Jews in the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. I will help them create their own state. I will help them... Build them, them the
0: uh, a yeah. Build them a kingdom.
1: Yes, exactly. So um uh, Louis Riel is uh, this kind of character that uh Ivan Kulik recognizes as his um as, as his double and writes extensively about uh, uh, Riel conveying he, the idea of uh, uh, the anti imperial rebellion the anti imperial choice, the importance of helping the oppressed uh, the persecuted the marginalized marginalised cultures uh, uh, to find their own self and to struggle for their own. Political, cultural, social independence mm-hmm.
0: so Kulik uh, when he comes back from uh Canada, he's trade representative for a while he comes back and uh, since he is a, a a national communist, he does well uh, when national communism is uh a la mode, but by the 1930s it's not a la mode anymore, and he runs afoul of the uh, of the uh, of of the stalinist by this time apparatus why don 't you tell that story
1: um Kulik um, is doing very well um, in the 1920s, as you mentioned, Marshall, and uh, in the early 1930s, uh, to the extent that uh, when um, in the Soviet Union they create this umbrella organizations for writers and poets, uh, which would be called later the Union of the Soviet Socialist Writers, Kulik, um, uh, together with uh, Ivan Likitenko, uh, becomes uh, the head of the Ukrainian. Of Union of Writers. Uh, just think about it. The person who is born as uh, Israel Yudovich Kulik, who becomes Ivan it. Kulik, now is the head of the Ukrainian Union of Writers. Um, that's that's something. it is, you know, it is the story that that, that we can spend some time um, yeah, on um, uh, at another occasion. But but I believe it's it, it's 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 not a trivial case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kulik uh, writes his um, major poem, uh, which is called Chorna Epopeya, uh, the black epic uh, poetry, uh, which he infuses with uh, Afro American tunes, uh, uh, genre, um, uh, melodies. Uh, he is perhaps the first Ukrainian writer to. Um, uh, use the uh, rhythms and and medical system of the Afro-American poetry, and also of the um, poetry of such writers as Edgar Lee Masters and um, and certainly Walt Whitman. Um, we need also to uh, uh, think about uh, Kulik's attempts to make the world literature visible in Ukrainian. Um, he puts together. Uh, what became the first anthology of the American poetry in the Ukrainian language. It's a 300, maybe 400 page long uh, anthology of the American poetry from Walt Whitman to uh, the uh, 1920s um, which Kalik put together and translated into the Ukrainian language. It was published in 1927 uh, in Ukraine. Uh, Nothing like that has been published in Ukraine uh, since then, by the way. the 1930s um, is uh, um, a very difficult time for him. Uh, he is trying to find himself in the situation where people who he was very close with, such as Skripnik, such as Hrudevay, have committed suicide. Mm. Uh, the moment when they realized that um, the encounter of national uh, revivalism with uh, leftist communism is no more possible to adapt. Uh, new values and adopt himself to these new values, he's not very successful. He's extremely influential in the 1930s. He is the head of Part uh, Vidal, the uh, party, uh, um, publishing house, the most important publishing house in Ukraine at the time. Um, he is uh, the head of the Union of Writers. He is widely published, uh, but he, the quality of his poetry in the mid-1930s uh, cannot be compared to what he does in the 1920s. Um, uh, the MKVD comes for him him. um in 1937 uh he is arrested accused of uh, uh spying um against uh, the Soviet Ukraine uh the accusation says that he wanted to um bring uh such emigre figures as Venichenko uh to Ukraine in order to uh so to say uh turn back the course of history and uh prevent Ukraine from becoming socialist mm-hmm. um, he's shot immediately the after um uh And his wife is also arrested and shot exactly at that time. Mm -hmm. For 20 years, his name is erased from Ukrainian literature, and only in the late 1960s, early 1970s, um, he slowly but steadily comes back. Mm -hmm. Still, his uh, three-volume collected writings that were put together uh, in the early 1970s uh, are sitting in the um, archive in Ukraine, collecting dust, Um, and uh, he still awaits uh, for another
0: rediscovery Mm -hmm. I see. Johanan, tell me about Raisa Triankar
1: Raisa Triankar is um, another um, person who was um, rediscovered recently by uh, postmodern and uh, feministic minded scholars, literary critics uh, reading public in Ukraine Um, she wrote just two books of Ukrainian verse in the 1920s but um, among the unusual uh, men that I'm discussing in the book, she's a very, very unusual woman. Um, also born in woman to a Russian and yiddish speaking family. Um, also uh, w- w- grew up as a person who rejected her uh, Judaic beliefs and, and uh, the shtetl-esque environment. Um, Oh. Uh, fell in love with a number of Ukrainian poets and decided that she will emancipate her colonized uh, Jewish self uh, through her erotic encounters with Ukrainian literati. No, it's a very no, interesting way I, of uh, uh, emancipating. Right, you so by
0: encounters you mean that, um, to put it in plain style English, she was having sex with these people. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, to, you know, I'm, I'm from let the Midwest me, let me put it and we need place. things put very directly. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, uh, let, me, uh, let me tell you that um, uh, to say that she had sex with uh, Ukrainian uh, writers um, is uh, um, a statement that needs to be explained. Yes, please First, explain. Uh, she, always, she always sought her uh, sexual partners among uh, uh, precisely the Ukrainian writers and poets and uh, and she was uh, very well known for doing that um, uh, to the extent that in the unpublished memoirs uh, by um, um, a, a major Ukrainian writer of that time, Yuri Smolich, um, uh she is mentioned as uh, having tempted uh, dozens of great Ukrainian writers. So probably uh, anybody who was... Um, uh, something um on the Ukrainian literary horizon uh, was tempted by Olha Troyanka. So was she a and, was
0: and, she was she a uh, what we call a groupie? You know what a groupie?
1: Uh, is? No, no, okay. no. Uh, she had she had short-term um uh, erotic encounters uh, uh with uh, with many different people not at the same time, uh but um uh, she was, uh, really, uh, very much interested in tempting, uh, Ukrainian writers. Yeah, I didn't mean uh, to, she also...
0: I was going to say, I didn't she, mean to, to, to just to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, uh, for those listening closely, I didn't mean to, uh, insult Raisa Traiankar or women in general by saying that she might be a groupie. So no, no emails, please. I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything by that.
1: Go ahead, go <laughs> on. <Yohanan. laughs> let me, uh, let me explain, uh, the other side of this encounter. Uh, She grew up in um, a a Jewish environment. Her father uh, was um, a scholar of Talmud in Uman, um, uh, very well known in in the community. And um, the um, restrictions of traditional Judaism uh, was something that Reza Triankar could not stand. And she rebelled. Her rebellion uh, could have been expressed in different ways. But her rebellion manifested itself precisely in this, in, in the uh, breaking of uh, the erotic taboos, uh, sexual taboos. Uh, she started as um, um, as a 14-year-old lover mm. of, uh, uh, of a person who brought a vagabond circus to Uman. Mm. Um He was um, a tamer of tigers, and uh, he was her first uh, erotic partner. And Raisa Ran away from uh, her parents to this uh, 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 tamer of tigers, and she spent time uh, working with tigers in the circus. So she was really a person of uh, enormous courage, uh, uh, and yes, uh, I should say. Um, and and, and uh, we know that she was uh, uh, featured uh, on the posters uh, that were issued by this uh, vagabond circus. Mm-hmm.
0: So tell tell us a little and, bit about her. Tell us a little bit about her writing.
1: Uh, Right. Um, When she um, moved from uh, from Uman to Kharkiv, uh, she enrolled in a local uh, teacher's training institute and started to get published. Uh, She was very close with um, a number of avant-garde groups. Uh, There was such a group in Kharkiv, uh, Ukrainian avant-garde group called Avant-garde. And uh, her books uh, were... um, shaped as avant-garde Ukrainian poetry featuring three major themes. One theme makes you a very unusual character in the Ukrainian uh, literary milieu at the time. She depicted the shtetl, Mm -hmm. the shtetl that she abandoned, uh, that she had abandoned, the shtetl uh, Uh, which uh, was uh, about traditional Jewish life, Um, her uh, imposing parents, um, Judaic tradition, um, uh, Yarmulkes, uh, uh, the Talmud, uh, the the, the Torah learning, and um, the uh, uh, kosher stuff that they had at home all the time. Instead of saying, you know, I'm a member of the Young Communist League and I deny this past, she says despite the fact that I'm the member of the Young Communist League, I love this past. Mm-hmm. And this is a very unusual something for a, uh, a 20-year-old um, uh, avant-garde poet. She really infused her poetry, her Ukrainian lyric poetry, with the images of her parents, with the images of the decaying, moribund, Godforsaken shtetl, and she loves it. She loves this video. She shows that it it is uh, it is it is a very warm um um household where people treat you nicely where you uh, still feel empathy uh toward you whoever you are um so she tells the story of her um visits to uh, her family where she has um an ongoing debate with her father about the future of uh, of the jews about the future of the ukrainians and her father says, you know, Zion, Palestine, um, religious values. And she says, um, uh, urban milieu, uh, the construction of communism, Ukraine. <laughs> and this debate is very interestingly um, interwoven into a poetic dialogue, which you see in her poetry. So the shtetl is one of her themes. Another uh, theme is quite obvious, since she is part of the uh, futuristic circle. Um, she describes the growing um urban um, uh, the growing urban how to put it better uh, society uh in this uh, new industrial cities in eastern ukraine first and foremost kharkiv kharkiv uh, really was um a kind of a new york uh, um, of the 1920s with uh um uh skyscrapers with with uh new buildings of uh, um, um, concrete and 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 glass uh, the um avant-garde kind of architecture uh, was very visible in Kharkiv at that time so um she describes um the growth of uh Ukrainian industrial cities the third theme uh is uh, um really groundbreaking i believe Priyanka is the first to introduce um, a very warm eroticism into the Ukrainian poetry. Hmm. So she describes her encounters, hmm. her sex with Ukrainian poets in her poetry. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's funny, but it's also very interesting that for her to become emancipated, to feel herself freed, uh, to feel herself... Uh, part of the uh, greater humanity um, is, uh, um, I would say, I'm looking for a word, uh, is something that requires this encounter with a Ukrainian poet. Mm-hmm. And by encounter, I mean having sex. Mm-hmm. So you have Ukrainian poet, you have Risa Koryankar, and she emancipates your body, um uh, through this encounter, Mm -hmm. and and she also emancipates her poetic ego. So she can become a poet only through uh, having sex with the Ukrainian poet. (laughs) And her having sex with the Ukrainian poet makes her into a free human being, Hmm. able to do whatever she wants, able to express herself in wonderful Ukrainian lyrics. Mm -hmm. Now, um, how unusual it is? It is very unusual for the late 1920s. -hmm. Um, uh, She... um, Writes this two, she publishes these two volumes of um, of uh, Ukrainian books, then she um, uh, tempted another poet who happened to be uh, Leningrad based and not Kiev or Kharkiv based, and she travels with him to Leningrad, where she spends four or five years, uh, then he abuses her physically, uh, there was home violence, she runs away from him, she does not want any kind of violence applied to her, so she runs away from him, and he finds herself in Murmansk, mm-hmm. and she spends the last 10 years of her life, she she, she died in 1945, in Murmansk mm-hmm. as a uh, war journalist, uh-huh. And then in Murmansk, there is another part of her story, which is not a Ukrainian part of her story, because she becomes a Russian-language journalist, and she publishes a book of um, Russian verse, which is, you know, five levels lower than her Ukrainian Mm. verse. Mm. But people who knew her in Murmansk were fascinated by her courage. She would go to the front lines. Um, of the um, of the um, uh, North Polar uh, Division uh, of the Soviet troops, and she would recite um, Alexander Bloch, Nikolai Gumilov, Anna Akhmatova, um, Maxim Rilsky, and other Russian and Ukrainian poets to the soldiers sitting in the trenches, in the front line, mm-hmm. under the German fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And uh, people found it fascinating. We have memoirs uh, of Raisa uh uh, behaving courageously at that particular time, 19, and, and 1940s. How,
0: and how is she remembered today, very briefly? Um,
1: <clears throat> um, a number of uh, female uh, Ukrainian literary critics uncovered her, published a number of her poems, realized they are dealing with an unusual case, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there were, afterward, um, a number of scholars who became interested in her, including, you know, uh, very solid literary scholars in the Ukrainian Academy of Sciences who published an article about her. And just to tell you, last year was 100th anniversary um, of her birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Poltava, uh, uh, the local um, uh, literary historian uh, published a, a book of uh, Triankar's poetry and um, uh, Russian and Ukrainian uh, poetry uh, with his uh, 60-page long uh, preface. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you cannot get the book anywhere in Ukraine because it was sold, like, in, in two weeks.
0: I see. Okay. Um, so let's move on very quickly to uh, Leonid That and that would be, for those of you who don't uh, know Russian um, or Ukrainian, I suppose, that's uh, Leonid the 1st of May, which probably uh, wasn't right. his given name. <laughs>
1: right. Um, uh, he was born uh, um, Ilya Shlomovich uh, Hurevich, um, Again, we are dealing with the case where a person is born um, uh, to a Russian and Yiddish-speaking family, uh, but decided to integrate the Ukrainian culture in the and, and become um, a Ukrainian uh, poet and writer. Um, of the five um, writers and poets that I'm discussing in the book, uh, Leonid Pervomysky, uh really uh, made it to the pantheon of uh, the 20th century <clears throat> Ukrainian Uh, literati. Uh, He is uh, uh, very much revered. Uh, There are streets uh, named after his name. There are, uh, you know, steamships named after him. Um, There are uh, schools and uh, libraries named after him. So he he he's very well known. Um, um, His um, uh, entire uh, seven-volume collect, uh, collection of writings uh, was published three or four times over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. So this is not an unknown figure. But, mm-hmm. but the unusual thing about Lenin Provomysky is that in the late 1920s, early 1930s, when he started his career, um, he wanted to become a Ukrainian Isaac Baden. Mm-hmm. And he did not start as a poet. He wrote uh, two or three collections of uh, uh, prose narrative. At least uh, one of them is is a novel, another is a collection of stories, and they are about uh, a Ukrainian-Jewish encounter. They're about Ukrainians and Jews in the shtetls, um, in the small towns of Ukraine, um, before the uh, uh, socialist revolution of 1917 and after that. Uh, he describes the shtetl. He describes the regeneration of Jews who uh, were living in this uh, moribund, uh, gut-forsaken towns and now uh, in the 1920s are emerging as robust uh, Ukrainian peasants of Jewish origin. Mm-hmm. Um, he discusses the transformation of the East European Jews, uh, looking at them against the backdrop of ukrainization, and he makes Jews into Ukrainians in mm-hmm. his in his mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what is important in um, the uh, 1930s? uh he was still publishing his uh plays very very popular um uh, about uh Jews becoming agricultural dwellers in Ukraine, about the establishment of agricultural colonies in the southern Ukraine, um about this uh Jewish uh, Ukrainian rapprochement, but later he had to abandon this theme once and for all. And uh the uh uh, and when in in the 1960s he wanted to republish some of his stories that had that, that had appeared in the 1920s, he uh, literally uh, transformed them uh, into something different, erasing all the uh, uh, significant references to Jewish themes.
0: Why did he do Just that?
1: Because he wanted to save his prose narrative for republication, He Mm -hmm. wanted these things to be republished. But the censorship did not allow him to have this uh, um, Ukrainian Jewish narratives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he really rewrote many of his uh, previous stuff to uh, save it for the publication. Mm -hmm. What I did in the book, I recovered his... um, uh, original publications of 1926, 1929, 1932, um, and uh, through them, um, I reconstructed what Pramysky was at that particular time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not how he uh, wanted to present himself and -hmm. present his past in the 1960s.
0: So the Pramysky that we know uh, today, or that most Russians would know, it is the I guess uh sanitized or communized or Stalinized. yes pervresky, uh, so. so is it, are his um, original publications the original versions going to be published? are you publishing them or should we uh, should we tattoo them on my back or what, what show, how do we get them out
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Certainly, there are things that should be republished, but you know um, um the um, grandson of pervomysky who um, who lives now somewhere uh near vienna um uh, is in control of the entire archive of Peremaisky, and he uh, publishes um, the uh, original stuff of Peremaisky every two three years. Mm-hmm. So I there see. is somebody who is uh, uh, taking care of uh, of the reintroducing Peremaisky to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, in two thousand four, they published. Um, he published um, a very interesting book of satires, uh, Peromysky satires um, against uh, Ukrainian anti-Semites, against uh, the official communist writers and poets. Um, uh, and, and they are mind-blowing. You mm-hmm. you read the satire and you cannot imagine that uh, something like that could have been written in, let's say, 1957. Mm-hmm. Very sharp, mm-hmm. excellent uh, um, China esque uh, poetry mm-hmm. uh, with, um, uh, with 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 the dialogue between Keremaisky's uh, alter ego and uh, and his interlocutor, who seems to be um, uh, one of the uh, major anti-Semitic minded uh, official Ukrainian poets mm-hmm. of, at the time. And you have twenty five pages of poetry of their dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, and they debate um, who. Of them really represents Ukraine. Mm-hmm. This, uh, you know, staunch anti-Semite and, and uh, um, ironclad Bolshevik, or uh, Perovskiy with his problematic origin and and his dual identity.
0: Mm-hmm. I see.
1: Um, we we are
0: uh, running reasonably short on time, so I want to move on very quickly to talk about um, <clears throat> a fellow who's still alive. I guess uh, Moisey Fishbrain. is he still alive? Is that right?
1: Yeah, he's He's still there. Um, he um, traveled a lot. Uh, Moise um is still alive. He is uh, now in Kyiv. Um, he was uh, born in Chernivtsi in uh, Bukovina, uh, the town that remembered uh, the uh, Austro-Hungarian um, uh, Empire as uh, as the Utopian times, and that saw itself uh, in the 1950s as as the as the vestige of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, uh, Fischbein. Um, uh, studied in Novosibirsk he could not get to any uh, higher educational establishment in in Ukraine uh then he was uh, um Found uh, by uh, high ranking Ukrainian poets, invited to Kiev, spent time in Kiev, integrated uh, himself into the milieu of Ukrainian uh, writers and poets who called themselves um, uh, the poets and writers of the 60s. Uh, so, this liberal democratic um, mm-hmm. milieu um, published his first book of poetry, fascinating book of poetry, which shows that he really started as perhaps the only one. Um, poet in Ukraine with, uh, straightforward metas- metaphysical, metaphysical, um, Concerns uh, the person who did not discuss, you know, the construction of of the new society or, the, or socialism, or you know, the exploration of cosmos, uh, but rather who discusses uh, life and death, black and white, the Holocaust, mm-hmm. the victims, the victimization of culture, the language as as a victim of um, of politics and other things. Uh, he was made uh, uh, emigrate from Ukraine. He spent some time in Israel, and he became. Um, um, uh, a um, how to say it? Um, he, he became a commentator at uh, the Radio Liberty of mm-hmm. Europe in Munich. <clears throat> and uh, after the uh, uh, events of 1991, when Ukraine uh, finally became an independent country, he uh, moved back to Ukraine. Uh, what is interesting when he was <clears throat> uh, in the Russian army, um, uh, somewhere near Vladivostok. Uh, He um, realized that he is banished from Ukraine, and Ukraine is his um, fatherland, and Ukraine is the center of his uh, universe. Mm -hmm. That is to say, when he was in Israel, he also saw himself as banished from (laughs) Ukraine. So Israel, for him, him, and by the way, he speaks Hebrew. He -hmm. knows Yiddish. He is uh, he is a person who, who lights candles o- over Hanukkah and uh, congratulates you with Passover. Mm-hmm. So he's really vested. He has vested interest in in in, in uh, his Judaic self. But for him to be in Germany or to be in Israel or to be in in, in the Far East uh, means to be in diaspora. Mm-hmm. When he goes to Ukraine, he goes back. And and um, um, he is um, one of these rare poets who is constantly pondering the role of the language, and he sees himself as the redeemer of the Ukrainian language. Um, uh, he turns to the Ukrainian language and says, So he turns to the Ukrainian language and says, turn to me my language. Uh, He uses uh, feminine diminutive when he turns to the Ukrainian language. You are uh, untouched, uh, raped, and sacred. Mm -hmm. Um, And he sees himself as a redeemer of this language. He redeems the Ukrainian language from the imposed Russification, from the assimilation, from the loss of of its uh, genuine, what he says, genuine Ukrainian identity, and he returns this identity to the language. Uh, this messianic striving of Fishbain makes him a very interesting figure on the Ukrainian horizon. Nobody uh, has ever dared uh, to say, you know, I am the redeemer of the Ukrainian language. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Fishbane does exactly that.
0: I want to – again, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I want to take the last few minutes to talk about uh, a more couple of more general issues that I noticed in reading the book and listening to you uh, and they're all relatively contemporary and not historical or even poetic, I suppose. But one of the things that uh, you do note in reading the book is that at least four of the people that you deal with um, in becoming Ukrainian literati have to give up or truncate their Jewish identities. And I'm thinking of um, uh, uh mm-hmm. Kulik, Treonkler, and Peter Vomysky. They all become something that isn't Jewish. Uh, is it possible today to be a Ukrainian nationalist or Ukrainian... Uh, writer and actually be an observant Jew in the kind of way that – and Americans don't have any problem with this, obviously, but I I don't know. It probably happens in Western Europe as well. What is the sort of status of, um, I guess uh, – it's really hard to know what to say here – Jewish literati in Ukraine writing in Ukrainian?
1: Okay. Uh, Marshall, let me uh, please correct you. I do think that these people um, who you mentioned, uh, they had to um – Leave their uh, uh, Jewish uh, self, so to say, behind when they integrated the Ukrainian culture. However, uh, what makes them very unusual people, and I'm emphasizing this in the book, they are creating a Ukrainian Jewish narrative, mm-hmm. is either prose narrative or or poetry. Uh, they. All use Jewish imagery in Ukrainian poetry. They are discussing uh, how to reconcile these two selves. Mm-hmm. And the reconciliation or non reconciliation becomes a, a drama and trauma that they have to grapple with um, in their uh, literary endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, however, let me get back to the second half of your question. When you're saying, um, uh when you're asking uh, whether it is possible uh to be a, an observant jew or relatively traditional jew and still uh supportive of uh Ukrainian nationalism i say yes absolutely yes and this uh, particular encounter of let's say somebody's uh traditional judaic self and and um Ukrainian national strivings became possible you would be uh surprised to hear where and how it became possible uh, due to the encounter of the Zionists and Ukrainian nationalists, arrested for their uh, human rights activities mm-hmm. in the times of Brezhnev, sentenced to different terms, usually seven eight years of the correction colony, and sent to the correction colonies where they found themselves um, engaged in in a very intensive dialogue. I mean. Uh, particularly Ukrainians, uh, con- uh, conscience Ukrainians, national-minded Ukrainians, and Jews. Um, and there are uh, very important writings, uh, there is uh, an entire discourse created by the dialogue Uh, and shaped by their dialogue, which is about Ukrainians and Jews discovering themselves as people of uh, different creeds, of different backgrounds, with uh, very different vectors in life. Uh, But they are constantly learning from one another uh, how to create their own national um, historical narrative. Jews from Ukrainians and Ukrainians from Jews. Mm -hmm. Because of this background, which which became uh, quite well known in the uh, 1990s in Ukraine, um it is not impossible uh to see uh, uh, Jews aware of their Jewishness and of the uh, of their you know either Israeli or uh traditional Judaic uh values, uh, uh, finding uh Ukrainian values and Ukrainian national strivings uh, quite commendable. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. How, what what is this? This is a kind of a, more, a broader question. What is it? How many uh, are, uh, how many Jews are there in Ukraine today? I don't even know. There was a massive outflow of Jews from the uh, from from the Russian Federation. Uh, is that true in Ukraine as well?
1: Uh, well, uh, look, um, it is difficult to um, uh, give precise uh, data. Uh, I would say uh, between uh, three hundred fifty and four hundred fifty thousand Jews uh, there are in Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm.
0: I see. I see. And is this uh, th- this tradition of i guess i'd call it jewish writing in ukrainian is it identified as such and taught in universities and schools uh, uh i know that in the case of someone like peter romaisky or fishbein uh, you know these are important poets but the more obscure if i can use that word poets are they recognized as well
1: uh, may I be self-praising? Yes, you may. <laughs> okay. Uh, I usually do that for you, but you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, Marshall, I think um, uh, I am discovering uh, this tradition, Qua tradition. Mm-hmm. There were figures recognized as uh, important Ukrainian Jewish figures. For instance, uh, let me mention um, Yeremia Eisenstock, who is uh, perhaps uh the most well-known scholar of Taras Shevchenko of the first half of the 20th century. Um, uh, there were other people recognized as important uh, Jewish contributors to Ukrainian culture. For instance, if you go to Kiev and uh, you, uh, you are on the subway, you will hear the, this uh, famous song um, How Can I Not Love You, My Kiev? This song was written by um, a Ukrainian composer, Igor Shamo, who is Jewish? Mm-hmm. So people would recognize that there are important Jews who contributed to the Ukrainian culture, mm-hmm. but nobody was ever talking about. Uh, nobody has ever been talking about the tradition, about the discourse, about the something that we can trace down from the 1880s till the 1990s, and 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 see these people as being in contact with one another either genetically or genealogically, or through the prism of cultural genealogy. Mm-hmm. So they are aware of one another. Mm-hmm. Just to give you one uh, one example, Kulik found Pervomajski and uh, gave, gave him a push at the beginning of his literary career. Uh, Pervomajski, when he was uh, already uh, uh, a, a renowned poet, uh, welcomed Fishbane mm-hmm. and blessed him. Mm-hmm. So you do have this kind of of an encounter of people of different generations who see themselves as continuing one and the same line. I don't care if we are if we have you know ten people in this um, tradition, but they are important mm-hmm. now. Why I'm, ta- why I'm telling you this story, um, it's a preface to a very important, to a very simple point. No, this tradition, qua tradition, is not taught because I have just discovered it. My book is being translated. <laughs> um, okay, um, I'm not asking for a full surprise, Marshall.
0: Yeah, so your tra- uh, the book's being translated.
1: Uh, my book is being translated um, into Ukrainian right now. Um, um, uh, Harvard University and, and Kritika Publishers will publish the book probably at the end of this year, beginning of the next year, and um, we'll live happily ever after. We'll see what will be the, the response of, of uh, the Ukrainian um uh, critics. Uh, well, to I'm sure
0: it'll be very positive. I can already, I can already, um, I, I can predict that. I'm, I'm happy to predict that. Now, let me. Um, we've taken up a huge amount of your time, and I really want to thank you. It's always enjoyable to talk to you. Let me ask our traditional final question on this 100th episode of New Books in History, and that is, uh, Johan, and what are you working on now?
1: Uh, Marshall, I just um, uh, sent the proofs uh, to Yale University Press. Uh, Yale is publishing uh, my new book, which is called Lenin's Jewish Question um it's about uh, how uh, lenin treated uh, uh, the bolsheviks of jewish descent and it's about um uh, lenin's uh, maternal great grandfather uh, whose name was Moshka blank and who was born uh, jewish um in uh the uh, small shtetl uh, called starokostantinov um in the pale of settlement wow. um uh, once i see this book um um Published, uh, I will get to uh, my new book project, uh, which is uh, entitled, um, tentatively entitled, Shtetl as it was. Uh, or shtetl as it really was, uh, where I'm trying to recover the material culture of the late 18th, early 19th century um, uh, Jewish uh, uh, market town uh, in the Pale of Settlement.
0: Well, that's terrific, and um, I look forward to talking to you about uh, the Lenin book and the book about the shtetl. I really do, and I want to thank you very much for being on the show. uh, As I said, I always enjoy talking to you, and I really appreciate it.
1: Marshall, uh, honored and and pleased.
0: Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to an interview with Johann Petrovsky Stern about his new book, The Anti Imperial Choice The Making of the Ukrainian Jew. I'm Marshall Poe, the host of New Books in History. I hope you have a great week.